on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it? Welcome everyone to season two of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, where we deep dive into uplift with insight, thanks to remarkably informed guests exploring the nature of our human nature and how to better engage it. If abnormal is the new normal and perceiving is the new believing, then inner is the new outer and consciousness is our new source for healing. Yet for many, it seems like anything but the dawn of an era of well-being, from pandemia to war to economic, environmental, and even democratic breakdown and more. As space exploration advances at breakneck pace, all share center stage in this overheated emotional climate our species struggles to navigate. So what's going on? Well, if you look at it from the outside in, it's the same old conflictual story getting rather scary. But now we're raising the bar by raising awareness that this mess of our humanness can only be resolved from the insight out as in vision that emanates from a profound shift in perception about the world around us and within us. This is precisely the thrust of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast, an insightful book. I'm Alison Goldwyn, and we're in a mighty discussion space featuring mighty voices of loving change, two of whom are our esteemed co-hosts, Irvin Laszlo, a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Fred Sal, business leader, author, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Today's illustrious guest is Anne Baring, a Jungian analyst, author and co-author of seven books, including with Jules Cashford, The Myth of the Goddess, Evolution of an Image, with Andrew Harvey, The Mystic Vision and the Divine Feminine, and with Dr. Sila Elworthy, Soul Power, An Agenda for a Conscious Humanity. Her most recent book, originally published in 2013 and updated and reprinted in 2020, the Dream of the Cosmos, A Quest for the Soul, was awarded the Scientific and Medical Network Book Prize for 2013. The ground of all her work is a deep interest in the spiritual, mythological, shamanic, and artistic traditions of different cultures. Her website is devoted um, her, excuse me, her website is devoted to the affirmation of a new vision of reality and the issues facing us at this crucial time of choice. We are so lucky to have you here today, Anne Baring. And before we start uh, this conversation, I want to read um, a very apropos excerpt that uh, Irvin has written from Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, and then we will swing it over to both of you. I read. We know now more than ever before that we must change or perish. Worldviews are the foundation of culture and the crisis has presented us with an opportunity to move to a, a new worldview linking ancient and modern, East and West, science and spirituality, endowed with technology and a new worldview informed by ancient wisdom, as well as the findings of contemporary science we can create a new narrative and witness the dawn of a better era. So beautifully true, and I turn it over to you, Irvin. Alison, what you just wrote is what I'd like to say, actually, as a start. And we need to overcome the gaps and the splits. And one of them is to which Anne Baring has contributed more than hardly any uh, probably more than hardly any other living person, is the overcoming the gap between our common understanding of the world and deep spirituality. So there are many ways that we can approach this question. It is true, I take it, and I want to and to talk about this, address this. It is true that this is not a universe which is purely material, which is purely physical in that sense. 
that is not just by scientific laws that we can decode this universe, that there is something in this universe which is which could qualify for our calling as spiritual, however we define it. Certainly it's not just matter, perhaps it's not matter at all. I would like to ask Anne to address this question so that we could discuss it, because I think it's crucial for the new worldview that we need, that we avoid this split between a deeper understanding that we call spiritual and the measuring and, and common uh, physical understanding, which, uh, which is still the basis of much of modern science. So how do you see these ways of moving behind science or spirituality, physical matter, you know, or un, uh, mystical and perhaps un, un, ungraspable, but true and deep reality? How can we overcome that? I think the huge mistake has been to think that matter is something separate and different from spirit. It's always been known in the Indian tradition, I think the Chinese tradition, the Taoist tradition, and indeed, I think the Christian tradition in its depth in the actual teaching of Jesus, that um, you can't separate the two. <laughs> matter is sacred because it is absolutely saturated with spirit. It is spirit, only we can't see it in that way. So we have to get back to a totally different way of understanding things. I think the understanding was lost after the pre-Socratics, they had it, because they had a way of communicating with this other dimension which is invisible and which is so difficult for us to accept. But they knew how to uh, use shamanic methods of incubation to go into a deep trance state and connect with this uh, deeper dimension. And then after that, we began to, to lose it little by little, although the mystics recovered it, different mystics of different cultures, they, they recovered it. But as from, in my view, from 2000 BC, we entered into a totally different mindset in which this reality became, as it were, the only reality. We became immersed in it. Although we had our religions, we had our teachings about um, God and, and the divine ground, but nobody paid much attention. Even Charlemagne, who was crowned in Rome in 800, supposedly to bring the two kingdoms together, he was only interested in expanding the Holy Roman Empire. I was just thinking of him today. So this is typical of what happened, whether you take Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, um, I don't know, well, I skipped to Charlemagne, but then, and the Crusades, they thought they were doing God's will, all of them, in their different ways, but they weren't. They were doing what Jesus called following the ruler of the world, which is the will to power. And this took over around 2000 BC with Sargon of Akkad in what is now modern-day Iraq. And we've had it ever since. We've got stuck in a pattern a pattern of wrong beliefs, wrong behavior, wrong institutions, wrong political, um, whatever you call it. And we're stuck in a mindset and a pattern which we really have to get out of if we're going to survive as a species. And this is what Irwin's book is all about, is how to get out of it, um, giving us the um, aim, as it were, and the practice and the process but it's not so easy, as all of us know. I mean, we've just seen in England, we've seen an effort to get rid of our prime minister, which has succeeded. And now there'll be a dozen people <laughs> motivated by the will to power, all struggling for the same thing, all probably unworthy of it, because whoever wants it that much is, is unworthy of it. So you can be sure that we probably won't get what we should get. <laughs> And then you have the Japanese ex-prime minister assassinated, um, I think, yesterday. So these things, apart from the, the terrible unfolding of Ukraine, the, the um, rape of Ukraine, were stuck in, in the shit of a past pattern which has to be transcended. And I think, as I said in the beginning, the mistake has been to think that matter is something separate from spirit and is not the manifestation of spirit and the incarnation of spirit in a different dimension, if you like. 
reminds me and something that Edley Stevenson said. He said at the time, anybody who manages to get elected doesn't deserve to serve. Well, that's it. <laughs> so, of but, course, he didn't manage to get elected, but uh, hopefully he would have been deserving to serve. That's a big problem of politics. You have to be incredibly aggressive, outspoken, and ready to defend yourself against all comers to, to gain the positions of power. Yeah. You need another system whereby people who have more insight, more and more ability to lead, to lead to a more thriving world are the ones who get elected. Not to be the dictators, not to lead in a way, but to follow, to follow the popular will. Another wonderful saying is by Jefferson, I believe, he said that if you believe that the people are not informed enough to lead, the answer is not to take the power from them, but to inform them. We have a population that has very often makes mistakes in electing its leaders, because the leaders who come to the front are very often those who have the most power, the most aggressiveness, the most, most determined will to push themselves in the forefront. And sometimes the great leaders are sitting more quietly in the background. Some of them are true. In the East, very often in India, great leaders, Aurobindo, Gandhi, just to mention a few, have been, managed to get, get into position of renown. But in the West, it's very difficult to be recognized as a spiritual leader and to be actually a political leader at the same time. But let me get back to this point that uh, Anne was saying about matter. Let's get over the matter of matter. I am reminded of a, of a pronouncement made by Max Planck, one of his last lectures in Florence. He said, after 40 years of studying the most concrete aspects of reality, which is the world of the atoms, I can tell you this much. There is in the universe no such thing as matter. I've been quoting this a lot and people can't understand it. How come? So what there is, what about all those particles? What about all, all those crystals and molecules and, 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 and planets and everything else? Isn't that matter? I really think, and I'd like to discuss this with Anne, I think there is no such thing as matter separate from anything else. This universe is not a material universe which has a psychic or psychological aspect. I think this is a psychophysical universe, a universe which is just as spiritual as it is material, if not, if not more. It has an aspect which appears to us as matter, as material. It also has an aspect which we can grasp best as spiritual, as being consciousness in some form. There's a recognition these days, and I'd like to hear Anne's thoughts on this. There's a recognition these days in the last 10, 20 years that NDEs, near-death experiences, are real. It comes to insight, if, if that is the true. If that is true, that consciousness persists in the absence of brain function, then consciousness is not depending on matter for it to exist. Consciousness exists also in the absence of a material body, because that body is not really material. That is an organic body, which has aspects that appear to us solid enough not to penetrate with our fingers and we call them matter. But this is no more material than the, than the quantum world that we call a quantum particle. We are all quantum particles joining together in frequencies of of shared, uh, of shared phase and, uh, and amplitude and intensity. We are just quantum worlds in a universe which is a, a vibrating, resonating, non-material, I would say not non-material, but I would say immaterial universe. And that worldview that we so much need, I think, has to be anchored in that understanding that we are not just visitors in an in passion, in, a, in an impassive, relentless, impersonal universe. 
but we are part of a resonating, thriving, evolving universe, which is as spiritual as the deep greatest accomplishments of the human spirit. The universe itself is spiritual. But to that, I don't want to say anymore. That I have been writing and thinking about this so, so long. But Anne is one of the leading spiritual leaders of our time. How do you think about this issue of matter and universe and becoming something that we should really becoming, recognizing ourselves of being not just a, a, a mere material, physical body of, uh, composed of cells and our molecules, but composed of something which is the very substance of the universe, which is quantum and, and cosmic consciousness. I feel stronger about this. What do you say? Well, really, I agree every single word that you've said, Evan, as I think you know, because I followed your work all along. But I noticed that you've become more emphatic in the last few books or the last few years. And I've become more emphatic even since I've written my book in my talks that I'm giving now, my webinars, because the time has come now to speak out directly and to tell people that they should have been told by their religions that they were here for a purpose, not just to be good and to be nice and kind and everything, but we had an evolutionary purpose in our presence on this planet. We were put here for a reason. We manifested on this planet for a reason. But we see everything as physical because we haven't been trained to think in any other way. You have to come to it gradually. And I've come to it through an understanding of quantum physics because it makes it so clear that the whole thing is vibration. We see it as solid, but the whole everything that we're sitting in and talking through is vibrational, vibratory. And it's, that is the consciousness of the universe which is vibrating in that way and yet appears to us as solid because possibly of the um, structure of our brain, which interprets it, interprets it or manifests it in that way. But underneath, we are all consciousness and we are all connected through the quantum level. And we are part, and this is the big mistake that our religions have made in teaching us that we were beneath or below God when really we are part of God. And this is what I've been saying in my webinars recently, something that's difficult for people to understand because they've been indoctrinated with the idea that divinity or God or God the Father is something remote, far away, distant in the, in the upper heavens sort of thing. And we are down here on this fallen and so-called fallen planet, um, suffering and, and going on generation after generation without having the slightest idea why we're here and that we have a specific and unique purpose because the fact that we're on this extraordinary planet is possibly to do with the evolution of the planet itself. It's really to help the evolutionary process of the, of the actual planet. And of course, we have no idea of that because we're not taught it. And I think that, again, Christianity made a huge mistake in not teaching people that they were divine, that they had a divine element in their nature which needed to be connected with in order to become who, who we truly are. Um, we've been downgraded into something fallen and rather insignificant and unimportant. And this has been a, a colossal mistake in my view, for which Christianity is responsible because Jesus was teaching quite the opposite. He was teaching what Evan is saying, that we're part of the divine and that we are um, responsible, as it were, in our actions for treating other people as divine as ourselves, um, and so on and so forth. I mean, both of us are deeply steeped in the history of Christianity. I'm deeply steeped in the history of Buddhism and Hinduism as well, because I traveled there in my 20s and made a big study of them. Um, so, and they were saying the same thing. The Buddha said, you have a Buddha nature. But where is our Buddha nature? Nobody speaks of it nowadays, except possibly the um, Tibetan monks or the Buddhist monks. But there's no consensus. There's no broad consensus that we all have been taught that we carry divinity within us and that we have the potential of manifesting that divinity through love. That is the way it manifests, through caring, through love, through solicitous attention to other people's needs and, and uh, demands. 
and through ceasing to kill each other because we're killing our brothers. I mean, the Russians and the Ukrainians, poor things now, maybe 25,000 Russians have died and maybe 30, uh, 20, 20 or so Ukrainians. That's coming up to 50,000 young men leaving 50,000 mothers grieving desperately that they've lost their beloved sons. This is an outrage in this time and, and that we're living in, in the 21st century. It, it's an absolute outrage that we're so ignorant that this is still happening and that mothers everywhere don't get up and say, this is the end, this is not to be. We, are, we will not tolerate this pattern anymore. This is what I would like to do is rouse mothers all over the world to just come together and say enough is enough. And rather like um, Annalise Ship uh, Schmitzen said in her book, she said, this stops here, <laughs> which I like very much. This stops here. And something has to wake the human race up and the politicians who are sunk in the old patterns, struggling for power among each other, struggling for power between the nations instead of working together. Um, we have three great powers intent on supremacy instead of cooperation. And um, this is, as I say, this is outrageous and stupid beyond belief because we're, we should be more intelligent than this. And I think materialist science has a lot to answer for as well as Christianity because it's given us such a diminished view of ourselves that consciousness emerges from the neurons of the brain is a ridiculous idea. But, and I think it is being challenged now but this came into being over the last three centuries and it's got stuck, rather like politics has got stuck in that particular format. Um, and this is something I think that I'm certainly working towards breaking it up and I know Irvin is too. And many thousands of people on the planet are also cooperating or contributing to this big change. I know that the, the uh, Thrive movement and the Shift movement and uh, humanities team movement, and my friends in Canada, the um, visioneers, you know, we, we can name four or five groups who are all working towards this new consciousness. But it's an uphill struggle. So I'll leave it at that. I could go on talking. I love talking because it brings back my historical knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing you talk. And don't forget <laughs> Urban's upshift movement, which is another propeller. In well, that's it. Yes, that I was adding those other ones onto um, Urban's. Exactly. It's, it's a, you know what's interesting, Anne, in listening to you, it makes me think of uh, the global body almost like, um, you know, when a part of your body is numb and it starts to wake up again and you start to feel it, but it doesn't wake up all at once. It's almost as if the global body has been numb and parts are starting to wake up. And so as fascinating as it is that we have not been taught about our, our extraordinary expansive nature in the way that we really are, our divine nature, yet something is pushing that in spite of the fact that we haven't been taught that as we're seeing now these these it's like the bubbles are simmering you know it's not at boiling point but it's something is is going on, it's I going like, on. yeah i just want to ask you something uh, both of you uh you and irvin from this feminine lunar era that you mark at 25,000 BC to 2000 BC to the male dominated solar era, uh, 2000 BC to 2000 AD to our current, I call it lunacy era, 2019 <laughs> BC yeah. before COVID to present. It seems like we've lost not only our North Star, but the soul in our system of which we all are. Our I call it soul, soul our system, as it were, play on words. You've indicated that the separation and disassociation caused us to lose our connection to the lunar holistic era. Nature and human nature became separated. Do you think, is it possible that this separation actually was a footpath toward maturation, much like a rebellious adolescent asserting itself to its parents and running away from home, only to experience necessary growing pains in that odyssey and finally growing up? Is that at all a metaphor for what has gone on 
in our history. I understand what you're saying. I've reflected on that particular thing because I've been asked before, but I don't think so. I think we actually got onto the wrong path and got stuck on it. I don't think this is a maturation problem, um, process because we haven't matured until now when you say uh, you know, bits of the body are waking up. Mm-hmm. And we completely lost touch with the soul and we completely lost touch the shamanic tradition. That was where we went wrong. Instead of the shamanic tradition, we had re- religions. The minute we had religions, we had hierarchy. The minute we had hierarchy, we had those at the top and those at the bottom. And those at the bottom all the way through history have been the people who suffered atrociously, um, being enslaved, being murdered, being raped, being destroyed or whatever, being overtaken by conquerors. I mean, look at Julius Caesar, what he did. Um, Look at all the great, there were seven great empires, including the Persian, the the Greek and the Roman. Um, And all of them were intent on conquest. There was one great Persian ruler called Cyrus the Great who, who did good things, but On the whole, they were intent on accumulating um, territory and accumulating wealth and gold and treasure and God knows what. So um, I don't really think that we can argue that anymore. There was a time when I think we could, but not in the view of what's happening today. And we're not really maturing particularly fast. And also there's this thing which I need to bring up really, which is this new idea, this... um, Great reset by the um, economic World Economic Forum with with Klaus Schwab. I think it's an exceedingly worrying development because it, again, it's the power trying to take over the world through one group of individuals who are not in the least bit spiritual, who are totally without any awareness of spirit um, whatsoever, but who are intent on worldly power. So I think in in that sense, we're deteriorating or going backwards because we haven't learned anything. But I hope that um, I hope that all of this, these groups that I mentioned, including um, Irvins, I hope that they will have enough strength to resist this horrible philosophy, or I don't think it's a philosophy. I don't know what to, what to call it, ideology, really. Um, of taking over all the power in the world in the hands of a very few people again, all male, <laughs> naturally. Um, and so we go on. And But I think I, I'd like to sometime discuss that with Irvin because I think it's a big problem. And in fact, I think the pandemic is part of that whole scenario. It was part of a plan to bring humanity to a point of exhaustion and weakness and many deaths deliberately, to kill them. And I I think this is extremely uh, worrying and dangerous. And I found out a great deal about it through studying on the internet and uh, with people who are aware, particularly doctors and scientists who are speaking up under the counter, so to speak. And what's fascinating is that they're shut up by the media. So it means that the media is in collusion with whoever is directing this big shift, this great um, reset, so to speak, that the media is really um, corrupted already and in the power of the people who are trying to bring about this different kind of civilization. So that's uh, plenty to think about. And I would like Evan's comment on that. Well, just the very term of reset, setting us back to where we were, is the most reactionary thing you can think of. Because what we were where we were is passing into history, thank goodness. We learned that we can't operate the world in a way that we have. All artificial or synthetic, only looking for great more power and more wealth and doing something which is maybe locally reaching us toward this goal, but on a wider setting having tremendous secondary effects, so-called secondary effects. I think there is a way forward in the so-called bifurcation. There is no way back, and there is no way to stay put where we were. To try to get back, to reset to what we were, is to attempt something which which was bad and which would be catastrophic if we tried it again. The big powers have to realize that the time has moved on. The big economic powers, the big political powers, the business world, 
I sometimes think of this whole idea of a private sphere that was so popular in the times when communism was still dominant in Europe. The private sector they talked about, and then the public sector, and the private sector is being kept small because it was a sort of a danger. But then the private sector got very big, got totally out of hand. I mean, business was supposed to be part of society and then an agent of social well-being. Andrew Carnegie and Dale Carnegie and and, uh, and other people, Ford and other Mellon, Andrew Mellon and others, these early business leaders have all firmly con- were firmly convinced that what they are doing is to benefit society. Then business became its own master. It's not responsible to anything and anybody else because the whole political world is is, is split is totally dominated by this idea of sovereignty, a sovereign nation. That's what we govern, the political leaders govern sovereign political entities, not responsible to anything at the most ideal for their own people. That means that any political entity that is sovereign can act as it pleases without regard for its connection to the rest of the world, for its effect on the rest of the world. In other words, every political system can become the equivalent of cancer in the biological world. It can just do its own thing and never mind its surroundings until it finally kills its host and then comes a transformation. But this transformation should bring something new. We have earned this transformation. We have got past the the tremendous traumas and we are still in a trauma, but are moving out of it. Now, where do we go? The vision has to be there that you talked about and also you know, just be more and more big, big hearing about it, like the visioneers, for example. The vision has to be there to move on. And that is the on. It's amazing that we haven't recognized this before. How could we look at the world as a series of material entities, basically randomly interacting, and then more or less by chance creating higher level systems? That was the mainstream dogma. You don't interfere because if you interfere, you are no longer playing the game of nature. Nature is being made what it is. The universe is what it is because of a series of random interaction, interactions that have occurred since the Big Bang. It turns out that what is happening in the world is not random outcome of randomness. It is the outcome of a, of a force, of a direction, of a purpose, a cause, whatever you might call it. This is expressed in the human mind, in a more imaginative and more sensitive human mind. It's expressed as unconditional love. In the, in the physical sciences, it's expressed as attraction to, and the creation of systems which are not mere he, heaps and aggregates, systems that have simplicity and and, and uh, integration within them that are really natural living system because the universe itself is moving forward as a living system. How can we not realize that? How could we think of the universe as a sphere of mecha- mechanical, largely random uh, things that are occurring, God knows why and God knows where it's going and it's not none of our concern. How can you not realize that everything is moving in the direction of greater internal connection or greater responsiveness to each other? But the term for that best describes this, in addition to love, which is the manifestation, the term in science is coherence, creating coherent systems. That, I think, is the amazing factor that this universe is moving towards coherence. Even great challenges like we have today a pandemic, a global warming, a war, all of these are striking forward in a direction which catalyzes, motivates higher levels of cooperation, working together, more coherence underneath the surface. There is this tremendous wave of evolution moving forward. We haven't realized it. How come we don't realize it now? How come that the divine force that motivates this world is the creation of whole systems working together as wholes in coherence, in in coordination, in oneness. These so-called spiritual insights 
are coming forth in the quantum sciences, in, in, bio, in biology, in cosmology, and should be eventually coming as the slowest in the social sciences as well. How come we didn't realize that? Why don't we realize it now? The force that moves us, the force is in us, that is in us, as the, as the Star Wars saying says, may the force go be with you. That force is the force of evolution. This is the force that's manifested as love, the force which is, leads us to a higher coherence and maybe consciousness. There's so much to say, I don't want to take more time on this. <laughs> but maybe consciousness itself is an expression of moving toward a more coherent universe, higher level or deeper consciousness. Because consciousness is not something we invented. It was there in the Big Bang, at the beginning of this particular local universe, because there may be myriad others. But it was there and it still is there and it's still moving us. It's up to us to go visit, to become more coherent with each other, to kinder to each other, as they also say, or more loving for each other and for our surroundings. That is the force that moves us. That used to be called just spirituality and knows that better than anybody. That is the fundamental force that's moving the world, not power not wealth, but basically love is that force. We just got to realize it, stand up or sit up and we act and act because the time has come. These people like Anne and Deepak Chopra, so many others who are around us on this particular podcast series, we talked about quite a few of them. All these, these personalities are waking up and it's time that we too wake up and then in these conversations like we're having now, is one of the key people that can make that wake up call visible, audible, so that we can begin to follow it. That's our chance. And I'm so glad to have this chance to talk with Anne about it. Thank you, Irvin. Do you want to go on or is this the no, end? It's your, I, I talk too much already. I mean, it's your, your <laughs> no, what, what, you, what you say is very so interesting that we can get um, carried away with it. But I agree with everything you've said. You say, why didn't we realize this earlier? But there were plenty of people that did realize it all through history. There was that... Um, marvelous man who was burnt at the stake in Rome in 1600. I can't remember his name now. But <clears throat> there are so many who, whose lives were sacrificed, again, to the people in power who didn't want anybody challenging their power and their authority. And this is why Jesus called it the, the um, ruler of the world. That This is what we have to overcome. This is the primary thing that we have to go beyond. I don't interrupt, I just want to say Giordano Bruno. Yeah, that's right, Giordano okay. Bruno. Exactly, my hero, or one of them. But um, there was St. Francis. He tried and succeeded to some extent, but, but all he did was create his own band of, of monks. He wasn't able to change the whole culture, although he left an imprint there, a great imprint. There was Dante. Um, I mean, we've, we've had very, very great visionary leaders. We had the people of the Renaissance with the marvelous artists, extraordinary philosophers. And then all that came to an end with the 30 years war in Germany and the whole thing was wiped out and from memory. So each time we have to begin again, I think there have been, the 12th century was one of them. The Renaissance was another. The Rosicrucian movement was a third and the fourth is now. So if we miss the boat now, we've had it. And how did scientific materialism get such a hold? It was because Christianity had become weakened and unsure of itself. It had really lost its message. And it, again, it had become identified with power instead of with the actual teaching of Christ. And this was a fundamental mistake. Anyway, as I say, there were these different periods when we had a chance and we have a chance now, a really big chance, because so many people are coming together from all over the world. There are probably a few thousand people like us, but there are millions who are deeply concerned and worried and frightened and wanting to sort of contribute something, but not quite sure how. And these need to be led um, by the ones who, who do know, by, by the ones like ourselves, really, who are doing our best to spread this 
new philosophy because it is a new philosophy or a new spirituality, if you like, or it's a, re- a spirituality that we're recovering from the pre-Socratic past. I mean, two and a half thousand, you know, more than that. Um, yeah, two and a half thousand years ago when we began to lose it. Um, it's coming back. And we've been born at this time. I think what's so fascinating, I'm now 90 and so is Irvin. And I didn't really know until I was in my 70s, I suppose, or 60s, 60s, what I was supposed to be doing on this planet. So it took a long time. You have to sort of grow into it. You have to, first of all, you have to get qualifications. You have to go to university. You have to get known. You have to begin to speak. You have to write. All this takes time. And finally, at the age of 90, you have the authority, absolute authority, to speak because you know what you're talking about. And (laughs) you can then guide people who will listen in the nicest possible way. You don't want to throw it down there, you know, ram it down their throats, but say, look, we're all in this together. We all have to work together. And it's all the, the glue that is binding us is love of the planet, primarily, and love of each other because we are the most remarkable, marvelous species. And with so many different kinds of gifts, when you think of every kind of gift, I mean, I had a gardener come today to look after my garden, that's a gift. I had somebody, I upset a casserole of food preparing for David Lorimer tomorrow, all over the kitchen floor. And my lovely housekeeper came and helped me to mop it up. And, you know, these are gifts of kindness and and love, um, helping each other do whatever has to be done. And David Lorimer is another one who's been a great leader for 50 years now. And he's coming to stay tomorrow night. And that, that is a great, for me, a wonderful blessing, even for one night to speak to him. So, but, but we were born at this time in order to do this work. And we've been guided. There's no question in my mind. And I call the guide the Holy Spirit in the feminine form. I'm actually writing a final book called The Holy Spirit. Um, so we have that guidance, and Irvin knows that as well as I do, and, and all the people who are working with us. We just have to listen to what is the next step, what is the intuitive idea that comes to us, what is the person who comes into our mind whom we should contact. All these little bit of hints that come in, we should follow them. I remember um, Robert Miller who did such an amazing job in Costa Rica and who was um, undersecretary at the United Nations. He said, if you have 80 intuitions a day, follow them all. And I think that's a, a lovely <laughs> thing to remember. Um, Maybe you give one a lot of work, but whatever comes into one's mind, follow it. <laughs> and Irvin has followed it by inviting me to, to come on a po- podcast. I have valued valued Irvin ever since I met him 30 years ago, I suppose. Um, And it's just lovely, all these connections that we have, which are getting stronger all the time. Every month, every year, they're getting stronger as we become more certain of our purpose and more accurate in what we're saying and also more simple. We don't need to make it complicated. Because the quantum physics thing is, is maybe complicated, but the outcome is simple, what it's actually saying, that we're all connected. So we don't need more than that. We're all connected. We're all working towards the same evolutionary goal. We're all connected by love as well as by um, quantum physics. And we can help each other and, and love each other. And this is something that um, political leaders need to learn quickly. Um, but maybe they too will will come to re- realize that something else is needed, and it's not just getting in the top job, whatever it might be. So that's um, enough of me speaking now. It, it, so you, are, you are talking about this uh, capacity of being up with the power that we have within us, this divine power that you mentioned. To me, it's the evolutionary power. And it's interesting that to have this mindset change, this mindset evolution, it's very good to have mindlessness, to meditate, to get down deeper into the the level of of Buddhism or to deep down into Christianity, into the mystical elements. Or it's very good to be shot into outer space because when you come down, come back from having looked at the planets from, from beyond, and see the living planets twirling in, 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 the, in cosmic space, you have a different mindset. But how many of us can or should be shot into space just for that? 
or undergo a near-death experience where you almost die, but then you come back. Maybe another way to do this is what Ben mentions, to become 90. Maybe becoming <laughs> 90 is a good way to do this. I recommend it. I recommend it. I think it's healthier than most of the other things that are available to us. And yeah. At the same time, taking care of your body, doesn't it? It yes. means eating well, talking to the right people with the right mindset, and enjoying nature and being one with, with the world around you. I think we'll try to do that. I can recommend it. And so it's a bit, talking with Anne, it's a great reinfor, reinfor, reinforcement for my own belief that we have reached the time that we can now speak up and we can say, we are here, we have this insight, and we know that it's good for you to, to follow this because then you will read, reach a ripe old age and you will be not a harmful agent, not a cancer on this, on, in this planet, but a positive evolutionary agent. Maybe this is what the elders are meant to be all along. Yeah, it was the, what the elders were meant to be. And also, I think what uh, the idea of Jean Houston and Anna Luce Schmitzman is the future human is a lovely image to carry that um, we are becoming the future humans and we need to hold that as a goal. And that future human will be somebody who cares for the earth and who is reconnected, not only connected, but reconnected with nature, which we've been separated from through our stupid beliefs, looking down on, on nature, thinking that nature is something that we can control and master and even putting things into space that shouldn't be there, um, you know, treating nature as our, our sort of what's been given to us to do what we want with. And that, that idea has to go. We are the servants of nature and we need never to forget that. And nature is guiding us, if you like. It's another form of the Holy Spirit. Nature is speaking to us, saying, look what you've done. Are you going to change? Um, this is not your world. This is entrusted to you while you become who you truly are and, and who you truly can become. Mm. Well, I have to say that 90 uh, years old going on the age of timeless is a wonderful place to be in one's life because what you're both saying today is eternal. And my hope is that What's different now, perhaps in any other time in history, because we were talking about why we're yet again at this same juncture, the same jumping off point, perhaps it's that the convergence of multiple crises coupled with technology that has never been present before to actually bring it home in real time for the very first time, perhaps this alchemy is, is what we've been needing, what we've been waiting for. And one hopes that what we're doing on this program and all the work that people like you, Anne, are doing, and Jean and Anna Luce, who've been on the show, Marianne Williamson, so many extraordinary others are helping to midwife. And that's one of the things we talked about with Anna Luce uh, recently, midwifing the birth of this future human. So. I want to conclude today's episode. Any any final words from either of you? Just either of you? That's <laughs> join. Keep this one word in mind. Join together. Hmm. What we're trying to do with the Lasto Institute, with the Upshift Movement, is to enable people to join. It's easy to join. It doesn't cost anything. Just say what you want and pledge your willing, your engagement to it and join. We can't do it alone. We have to create a movement and the movement has to grow. Let's grow it by relating to each other, recognizing that we are really the same, that we are life, that we are nature incorporated, <laughs> not in a business sense, but in a sense of giving body to it. But we are more than a body. So I say exciting time, wonderful times to have people like Anne and in this world being active I think it's one of the largest and most remarkable indications that humanity is here to stay, is here to develop. Thanks for, to, to you, 
Alison and to everybody on this program and to Fred who was, who's founded it. Uh, to create this, we need this kind of discussions and dialogue. This spirit has to grow. The best thing we can do in life is to grow it. I would agree. I think the spirit has to grow. And I think trust is the most important word. We have to trust the process. We have to learn to trust each other. And we have to trust that we are being guided and, and led. Mm. Well, I, I thank you both immensely. And uh, I also thank Fred Sau, who could not be with us right now, but we will have his his reflections as well uh, on this episode when it does air. Uh, I want to thank you, Anne Baring, wisdom of divine feminine that you are. Uh, I want to thank uh, Irvin Laszlo, Fred Sau, um, our wonderful worldwide audience who we know are hurting and struggling and trying to make sense of the chaotic times that we're living in. And our wonderful production team led by Nora Cesar, Kenichi Sugihara, our webmaster Fabrizio Beria, and those many wonderful others at ITEA Institute. I'm Alison Goldwyn, inviting you to join us for more podcast episodes and to gift a copy of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing book to yourself or a loved one. It's a wonderful companion during challenging times. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So this time, when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And now to conclude our program, here are some thoughts from our co-host, Fred Sapp. Hi, everybody. I mean, um, I'm Fred Sao, and um, after listening to Irvin and Anne's um, comments, I have these thoughts I'd like to share. First of all, I think that we have to have a framing of understanding and seeing uh, the situation that we're in. From the quantum paradigm that Irvin knows very well and coherency as a way that's constantly adjusting and balancing it because reality is holistic and then it will adjust itself. So moment to moment, it will calibrate to balance for life to exist. So in this whole thing of uh, the field of consciousness that makes up the appearance of solidity called the form. Um, it is just really an expression of, uh, of energy vibrating, which is the Chinese called the yin and yang. One silent curve, one energy, a complex overlaying uh, of energy vibrating together multi-dimensional reality of energy vibrating together. So there is the cosmos, which is without the form, which is the essence, which is the source, which is the field. And these field spurt out waves of energy. Now we know that there are many fields activating and so therefore this idea of a unified field theory, well, how come we have so many fields synchronized so perfectly in the way this for energy and in the creation of process of reality of form? So the Chinese called the Tao, the energy of evolution. And I think this energy of evolution has been creating a different era of human expression and consciousness. Our consciousness creates a worldview, creates our culture, creates creativity of humanity. So in the early stage, uh, we are very close to nature. There's no, you know, there's no uh, machine that much. The technology is just a tool for hunting and eating and cutting up 
phones and making tents and clothes and stuff like that. Those living in nature really understand we're part of nature. And we fear nature because we're part of nature. And so in the shamanic era, we seek harmony with nature. We fear nature because we're within nature. And we seek to connect uh, with the energy of creation. We seek to connect uh, with the higher spirit. That is forming the appearance of nature. So from very early stage, human beings are trying to connect and a higher order or higher energy uh, that's forming this appearance of, of civility, although there are no quantum scientists. So in that era, there is the shaman. Very interesting, the Chinese word shaman is the one that can communicate <coughs> between heaven and men and among men. So if we are now thinking about how we evolve, and we put a label on it, the shamanic era, which is a completely spiritual era, and human beings do not make so many changes to nature. The level of creativity is very minimal, and we rely on hunting, gathering, which is rely on completely nature can provide us. As we move into the agrarian era, we already start accumulating wealth. We can store grain, we can actually store wealth, and a whole new civilization happens from the tribal uh, hunter-gatherer to the uh, era where they are now integrated more and more uh, to become states and countries and, and then farmers and landowners and so as a civilization, the worldview change and the new era is born. And then we start creating more and more. So, but this is as such the human evolution label. When we move um, further into the religious era, what's it called the first exo era, people, human spirituality awakening, is that we start interpreting spirituality and making into systems, different systems, religious systems, philosophical systems, ethical systems, Lao Tzu, Buddha, Confucius, Socrates, Jesus, all those periods in fact, exo era, the energy is expressing itself right around the zone of 35 degrees uh, latitude all around the world. That's 2,500 years ago. And they predicted actually there will be a second exo era or 2,500 years later where more people are awakening uh, to the spirituality of the nature. So evolution never stops. And there's no good or bad. Everything is an expression of energy. As we move from relying spirituality from from the energy of nature to gradually more creativity of, or having more control and human being creating more uh, technology, you might call it. Human beings uh, become more empowered and often forgot that they're part of nature. Even the religious era, the shift is to a bigger power, but not necessarily nature. But that's a different era. So we went through this different era from era of spirituality to era of religion to era of thoughts, where human beings are empowered 
or empowering themselves, coming up with the utilitarian, logical, uh, self-centered type way of thinking, logic. To moving into the scientific era of materialism, Newtonian physics. To technology, to industrialization, and here we are. A whole material era has been created. Well, it does actually help us a lot. For example, we are affluent already. If we take the amount of economics and spread it, we're way past survival. We can live. We don't need that much to live. So beginning in some area, people are seeking self-actualization more and more and more, seeking for purpose. But you cannot understand purpose unless you understand life and then you understand who you are. The self-actualization is actualizing yourself in life. So we don't understand both. You find purpose and you can get lost. And to find out that you are actually just consciousness, creating cluster of energy and evolving with it. And life is everything. And everything is life. The whole universe is life. That takes time. And then you have to translate that into how do I fit in to this system of life that I will be actualizing. What value am I going to bring to life? My, my life included. So this era of evolution is continuous. It's not good or bad. It's just energy vibrating, which means that the fundamental appearance of things are cycles. From spirituality, completely relying to material, and then the cycles move back. But each time it moves, hopefully it's evolved, like a spiraling moving up. And then the fluctuation becomes less. So the shape of that energy will depend on the cycles. Now everything is becoming faster and faster. And cycles become faster and faster. But if it's faster and fluctuation very big, you have stability issues. And so you needed to moderate, regulate these cycles. Otherwise, it's problematic for human physically to live in, to cope with. So you, we all know. Evolution goes against the challenge. We evolve in the direction of our perceived or actual challenge. We personally have experienced that. You have a challenge, overcome your challenge, you grow. It builds a character to have challenge. So humanity has challenges too. The word modernity is a very interesting word. It's a, people talk about modernization, but what is modernity? I've done some research many years ago, and I found that modernity is a human inner drive to find freedom, either external or internal freedom. That is the truth. And therefore, free market economy is where it is today. And it is this free market economy that becomes the most important institution. Almost the whole world is moving to a market economy of different freedom, but by and large, more and more freedom. So, Are we going to come back to connecting with nature again? Of course. When we awaken that, oh my God, universe is life, and I'm in it. The whole damn universe is called nature. 
And funny enough, we are nature. We are representative of nature. A human being is the most creative, most spiritual one. In the Chinese tradition, in the Tao Te Ching, it says, of course, Tao is the greatest. And the universe is great. Therefore, the, the cosmos and the universe is great. And the human being is great. Because we're the representative of Tao. Tao is in us. We create on behalf. Also, my Christian friend would say, well, we're doing God's work. So I think we're moving into a very interesting era of well-being, where this era we awaken to the fact that all is life. And I can only be well with coherency, which is holism. When you're holding the cosmic, its expression in the material form of the universe must express that holism. That means it's constantly changing. And in fact, we can only observe the only truth about materialism is change. Change is the only constant. Because it constantly had to calibrate itself to representing holism, which is its original nature, which is the cosmic energy, just energy. These clustering of energy to give appearance constantly have to adjust to come to new balance, to express the holistic nature of this creator, of his fundamental, or just nature itself. So in the dualistic world, it's constantly adjusting. And this dualistic world is nothing but vibration. Zero, one, one, zero, vibrating. Or yin and yang, yin, yang, vibrating. So this new era, when we wake up, what is life? What is reality from the quantum view? And how does it relate with our own experience or even our own culture? So the Chinese is no different in the way they structure as the Western. Just terminology, interpretation, and historical background. In the new era, we're going to bring in a new science called quantum science, a new technology, a new worldview about the cosmos and universe, a new worldview about life, a new worldview about value. And when we finally comes in our choice that is based on adding value to life, the whole system with us in it, and gradually we wild our habits and our thinking pattern in using that value to make choice, we will start making coherency in the system, in our expression as well. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Piba Dupont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week.